Nate Bradford, co-associate chaplain for Residence Life here at Calvin. I have the pleasure of introducing someone who I really look up to, uh, Reverend Noel Castellanos. Uh, Noel grew up, uh, was born on the border, the California-Mexican border on our side, so it's legit. He can, he can preach here and get his little uh, money. Uh, then he had a seven-year seven tour of, of the United States, the farming communities and, and, and such, uh, as his parents were migrant laborers. So he definitely is familiar with some of the issues that are out there in our uh, culture right now. Uh, he went to Whitworth after that, so we're tapping the Whitworth bullpen one more time to, to bring someone here to Calvin from Whitworth. Uh, and then from Whitworth was a, was a pastor uh, in California, correct? For Chicago, sorry, 10 years there. Um, and then he started the, the Christian Community Development Association with about 100 other people, and he is now the chief executive officer of the CCDA. And, and uh, CCDA is, is, is uh, about 1,000, rather, member organizations that work in under-resourced communities uh, here in America and, and, and uh, with influence beyond. So really appreciate having you, Noel, come and, and deliver the word to us today. Welcome. You think I'm playing. Well, uh, good evening, everybody. That, is, that, is that about the only Spanish you know, right? Buenas noches. Now, a few of you are... Uh, well, listen, um, Nate, I have, to, I, I have to get Nate off the hook on his little st politically incorrect statement that he made there, you know, about being from the right side of the border. I told him that. I kind of said that myself, that uh, when I introduce myself and I tell people that I, I was born uh, in Texas on the, on the U.S.-Mexican border, I, I always now have to clarify I was born on this side, right? And that becomes much more important today. And I'm Mexican-American, but, you know, my, one of my grandmothers was born in Texas, okay? Uh, both my parents were born in this little town in Texas. I was born in West Laco, a little town in Texas. So we've been here a long, long time. My first language was Spanish, but, uh, you know, as soon as I uh, uh, got into parochial school, that's what you do if you're Mexican-American from the, from the valley, right? You, get, you go to Catholic school. And uh, so I uh, went in. My first day of kindergarten, and my name was Noel Castellanos. And when I walked out, they changed my name. It was Noel Castellanos. <laughs> I had to go home and tell my mom, you know, and dad, they, they changed my name, you know, and, and, and they said, that's all right, you, you, you can get it back one day, you know. <laughs> And I've been working at that for a long time. Uh, so I grew up all my uh, upbringing in school, uh, and uh, everybody called me Noel at school, you know, I mean, elementary, high school. I, I didn't like it, but it was just kind of what you did to try to fit in and make sure you don't rock the boat too much. And then when I went away to college, I went to Whitworth College, and, and so I expect great things from your new president, right? Uh, Whitworth alum and all that. And, and, uh, but uh, when I got there, there was, uh, there was only two Mexicans, uh, descent folks, right? 
And, and, and it's kind of interesting identity because even though I was born here and my parents were born here, I still really identify with that uh, title. You know, I'm Mexican-American. I, uh, there's, a, there's an influence there when you grow up speak, speaking Spanish, living on the border. It, 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 you're American, but, but in America, you're not quite American enough. But yet if I step into the, uh, you know, into Mexico, I'm not Mexican, right? Um, I'm, I'm American kind of descent uh, with a little bit of Mexican in me. So there's a lot of confusion there for many folks that kind of have been uh, straddling the border here. But, but, you know, so I go to Whitworth and there's only two of us. And the one young lady uh, from Colorado who was also Mexican, she, she just denied up and down that she was Mexican. And I'd have to pull her aside every week or so and say, listen, it's okay. You're going to be all right. It's all right to admit that you're Mexican. That's okay. And so, you know, I kind of helped her through that cultural identity crisis that she was having. And uh, I was able to kind of, you know, um, uh, uh, make it there. I I like to say that I survived uh, my four years at Whitworth, okay, Spokane, Washington, coming from the Bay Area, urban kind of situation, living in a little barrio called Sunny Hills, to move into this very, very different almost, you know, it's a rural kind of country uh, setting and all that. And uh, so anyway, uh, there's uh, so much of my life, it seems, it's been, it's, it's been about adjusting. It's been about trying to figure out who I am and what my identity is. And many times uh, feeling like the way I had to do that is to measure it against a, a majority, okay, a majority culture. And... Uh, so, uh, you know, as this week, as we kick off Unlearn Week, um, I, I, I would like to say that, you know, I'd love to blame all white people and say, you all have to change, right? Because, you know, you guys are bad, right? You're the ones, you, you have the racism problem, and you got the, but you know what? I've learned, I mean, um, uh, and, and a lot of it is just getting to know myself better. Is It's a human problem, okay? It's a human problem. And it manifests itself in so many ways, in so many ways. I mean, really, it's a human problem. And the, and the quicker we get to understand that, the more that we will be able to say, uh, especially once we embrace the love and teaching of Jesus Christ, right? We're able to embrace the fact that our job is to be an agent of love and change and reconciliation towards everybody, towards everybody right? But it doesn't let anybody off the hook. It doesn't let anybody off the hook. If you're, uh, or, or me, you or I, whoever it is that we encounter, if we have this kind of prejudice, racist attitude, and it comes out in ways that sometimes are not even, you know, conscious to us, we, we need to learn about that. We need to be honest about that and confront that, okay? So, uh, you know, a number of, uh, uh, in February, there's a national prayer breakfast that happens every year, right? And uh, all these folks from all over the world come together. And I was on a panel, a reconciliation panel, uh, with uh, Congressman Tony Hall, who's kind of a great statesman for the United States uh, government for many, many years, and a strong Christian. And, uh, and there was Dr. Barbara Williams Skinner, who started the National Black uh, Caucus uh, and, and, and is a great Christian, and her and her husband have been pioneers. And there was a guy by the name of Richard Twist, a uh, Native American guy who is a kind of, he, he just wrote a book called Rescuing Theology from the Cowboys, okay? 
a good read if you don't have anything to do one night, right? And, uh, and so Richard just kind of blows our mind about all of this stuff because, uh, you know, uh, what I've learned myself is that Native Americans are an, are an invisible people in our country, okay? And uh, forget just the country, they're invisible in the church when you think about it, right? How much do we do, how many of us have, have spent much time really understanding what the Native experience is? And so when I started getting to know Richard and we started hanging out, uh, and I would complain to him about immigration and, you know, all the craziness around the laws that need to be changed. He reminded me, hey, you know, uh, we needed to have strict, stricter immigration policy when all those pilgrims and other folks started coming <laughs> to our country, right? All right, so we're on this panel, and, and uh, so, you know, when you talk about reconciliation and you talk about racism and you talk about all these biases, one of the best things to do is to kind of be humble about it, right? All of us kind of start with that posture of humility, and so everyone started apologizing. And, uh, you know, uh, uh, Tony, uh, Congressman Hall said, you know, we read this declaration. Congress declared that, uh, you know, we treated the Native Americans bad, and we, we have this declaration about it. So there was, and he said, I was part of that committee to, to apologize for that. And then uh, somebody else talked about, you know what, uh, there's, there's probably been not enough conversation about the uh, way that, uh, as America, uh, that we've treated African Americans and all the history of slavery. And so, you know, they started talking about that kind of apology, and everybody, there was all these apologies, and when they finally got to me, I realized, man, you know, I, I mean, I know that they got something to apologize to Mexicans for, you know, I couldn't figure out what, so I finally, I, you know, in a, because it was kind of serious, and I said, well, I think that, uh, that uh, we ought to apologize to Mexicans for Taco Bell. I said, because, no, I, I wish I could tell you that I'm kidding, that I, I really did say that in Washington, D.C. Because I, I said, because you know what? That is not real Mexican food, all right? That, I, I don't care what you do. That is not real Mexican food. So if Taco Bell is your favorite restaurant, listen, I feel sorry for you, okay? Uh, but, uh, that's, uh, but it's cheap. I know. You can feed your whole family for under five bucks or something, right? Uh, or your whole dorm or whatever, okay? Well, finally, uh, just one more little story, and then I'm going to get into our text tonight. But uh, I was here not too far from, uh, from, uh, from the college. I was speaking at a little place called Bethany Beach. Anybody hear that? A little resort town for uh, Christians to go and hang out together in the summer and have a good time. And they bring in speakers all the time. And the woman that was introducing me, unlike Nate, who did a really good job, uh, she was really nervous. She was really nervous of, uh, you know, saying my name right. Now, so, right, when I got to kindergarten, Noel Castellanos, I got to college and I, ch I said, look, nobody can say Noel, right? So you can call me Noel, right? That's what I go by now. And so this woman uh, was working really hard, Castellanos, and uh, I, Noel is the pastor of La Villita Community Church. That's the neighborhood that I uh, was working in, in Chicago and lived there for the last 22 years. And then uh, she says, and, you know, she kind of got to know me a little bit. Noel has a passion to reach the, the, I told her, you know, to reach the barrios of our nation. The barrios are the Latino communities, right? And so she gets up there and she's nervous and she says, man, Noel Castellanos, she did great. Pastor of La Villita Community Church, she did great. 
And then she says, and Noel has a passion to reach the burritos of our nation. <laughs> and uh, it's hard to preach after being introduced like that, right? <laughs> but that was when I weighed about 50 pounds more, okay? So, so uh, I had actually reached a lot of burritos in my lifetime. <laughs> so she was actually right about that, okay? All right. Well, you know, you know what I've come to know that, uh, what I've come to realize is that when we talk about this idea of racism and, and about the great um, uh, damage that it does to us and to others, you, you, you know, you almost have to have a sense of humor about it because uh, it, it is such an intense topic. And how many of you have kind of become enlightened about racism and you get so convicted and you know somebody that, you know, you don't even want to talk to them. You don't even want to talk to them because they're going to get in your face and they're just going to jump on you and they're going to make it, you know, and it's like you cannot, you know, you can't say sorry enough or you can't deal with it enough. And I know it's very uncomfortable, but I want to I kind of go to the scripture that we're going to launch this week with that, that is so challenging, okay? Uh, I was just at our CCDA conference in, in uh, Minnesota this last week, and let me tell you about, if you, if you want to do something, I think it would be good for you, okay? It won't take you very long. Just go online and Google CCDA, go, or go on ccda.org and look at what we do. We are the most diverse evangelical organization in the country, okay, by far. Absolutely biblical. We're trying to live for Christ. We're trying to hold up the standards of the kingdom. But if you look at who we are, I mean, it is so diverse uh, across the spectrum, uh, racially and ethnically, but men and women working together. And you know what has brought us together? It is taking the words of Jesus seriously to be uh, kingdom people among the poor, to live our lives, incarnate our lives in places that very few people want to go uh, in our country and around the world. Think about this. The most wealthy nation on this planet and there are millions of people that live amongst us that are, are living in poverty. And it isn't just a material poverty, right? It's not just a material poverty because we have food stamp programs and we got food banks and we got clothing banks and you know, you can get all the stuff. But I tell you, I drive into neighborhoods every single uh, uh, week of the, of the year as I travel all over the country to, to visit our members. And there is a hopelessness there is a uh, unhealthiness to communities. Uh, you know, when you drive into an unhealthy neighborhood, you, you just know, man, something's not right here. There's, there's, a, there's a fear. There is a sense of violence. There's a sense of like, oh my gosh, you know, isolation. There's, there's a sense of, of, uh, uh, of, of just like, uh, this is, you know, there's nothing we can do about this. There's nothing we can do about this. And so as we go into um, Matthew chapter 5, 
and, and the Sermon on the Mount and read this text from today, it, it, is, it, it is one of the most radical teachings that you will ever hear coming from the very mouth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ himself, uh, helping us to understand what happens when we become just totally consumed with loving him, right? So it isn't like, it's not like here's some words of what you ought to do and, and you know, go out and become, you know, active and go do this great stuff and, you know, muster up the energy and the power to go do all these crazy things. No, you know what he's saying? This is what you will be. This is what happens to you when you just love me. When you know the God that is revealed in Jesus Christ, this is what will flow out of your life. And, and, and listen to this. Um, chapter 5, starting in verse 38. You heard the law that says the punishment must match the injury. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say, do not resist an evil person if someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. If you are sued in court and your shirt is taken from you, give your coat too. If a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, carry it for two miles. Give to those who ask and don't turn away from those who want to borrow money from you. Well, you guys are okay because you probably don't have any money. Oh. <laughs> You're safe, right? Okay. Uh, and then he goes on. You've heard the law say, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemy. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. Okay? For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you're kind only to your friends, how different are you from anybody else? Even pagans do that. But you are to be perfect, even as your heavenly Father is perfect. Wow. What if the true telltale sign of the authenticity of our faith is more determined by our relationships and our actions towards others, especially, okay, those that we're supposed to hate on this, on this earth? Okay? That society says, hey, it's okay to treat them like that. It's, oh, of course, it's fine to hate folks that way. You know? Yeah, uh, and you go all over the world, and there are culturally acceptable hatred uh, uh, opportunities, right? I mean, everywhere you go, everywhere you go. I live right on the border. I've lived there for 22 years uh, on a border between a Mexican and, a Me and a, an African-American neighborhood on the west side of Chicago. And you know what the, the, the understanding is? 
Well, yeah, you, you, there, of course there's animosity between the, the Mexicans and the blacks. There's all kinds of reasons for that animosity. You know, these Mexicans come here, they're taking over, they got all the businesses, they got all this, they're here illegally, you know, all this is going on, and we are, are losing our piece of the pie. Of course you, there's got to be animosity there. And then in the Mexican neighborhood, you know, uh, uh, we are, uh, we're divided by two rival gangs, two six on one side, on the west side, the Latin kings on the east side. And, and in our neighborhood, it's like, yeah, you can hate two six people. I mean, if you're a king, you, whatever you have to do to represent, you know, your, your faithfulness to the two six nation, you do it. If it means killing, if it means violating, if it means treating badly, whatever it is, you have permission to do that. It's okay. And here, we're the same people, sometimes same family, same neighbor, same, you know, it's a cousin or whatever, and it's, it's acceptable. That's the way it is, you know. Uh, denominationally, well, yeah, you know, that denomination, I mean, they're, they're, they're wrong. They're not like us. Uh, you're Democrat. You're Republican. You, I mean, of course, hey, you cannot be a fearing, God-fearing person and be a, a Democrat. No way. There's absolutely no way that's possible. Or you can't, oh, you're a, you, you live in my hood? You live in the, in the, in the barrio? Well, well, you're a Republican and you're Mexican? What's the matter with you? Or black? I mean, that, that's an oxymoron. You can't be, that, that can't be like that. There's all these boundaries, folks. And, and here's the question. When we name the name of Jesus, are we more concerned about being faithful to the ethic of love, the radical, subversive love of Jesus Christ and his kingdom than we are of uh, representing our own little tribes and cults and, and uh, sects and groups and, and little, you know, enclaves. Uh, Dr. John Perkins that I've had the privilege of working with for the last uh, 22 years, you know, he, he'll always say, you know what, it's heretical to teach that there's a black church and a Latino church and an Asian church and a white church and a Chinese. You know what, there's one church there's one church, and, and, and the idea is, you know, what we're hearing here, it, it, it ought to make us uncomfortable. It ought to make us say, I can't live this life in my own strength. I cannot do what Jesus says if it was, you know, I like to say if it was about me, I mean, you know, I am down for brown, Okay? Listen, I am down. I'm, I'm into immigration. I know everything about Cesar Chavez. I was one of the great, I mean, I'm telling you, I'm, I'm lamenting this. There's a brand new Cesar Chavez memorial that's being, uh, uh, like, you know, inaugurated or opened up tomorrow in California where he did a lot of his work. The White House called me a couple days ago and said, Noel, we want you to be there. We know that you're into Cesar and all that, you know. Uh, Chavez, and, and they said, can you go? I said, no, I can't go. I, I almost cussed, all right? Oh, no, just kidding. <laughs> I almost said shucks and hickey darn, you know? I mean, uh, but it, it was like, oh, man, I really want to be there, but I'm going to be at Calvin College, you know? That's where I, I'm going to be there. It's going to be cool, you know? Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's it. Yeah. 
Uh, I'm not going to cancel out on, on Calvin College to go to Cesar Chavez thing, you know. But, I mean, I, I could be all about Brown. I mean, you know, when, when I was uh, learning about all of the social justice stuff and uh, all these radical passages about loving the poor, man, you know, uh, here's, here's kind of how I, I've been into it. You know, uh, in, in, uh, in the early 70s, there was a, a great boycott right, that Cesar Chavez put out because all of these farm workers were getting sick, they were not paying, getting paid well, and so they, they instituted a great boycott to try to, you know, uh, uh, organize this union so that they'd have better wages and all that. Well, I heard about that when I was in college and just graduated from college, and uh, since 1975, I have not eaten a grape. Okay, so if you try to give me a grape, I'll just push it aside, right? Not a big deal, right? But you know what it did for me? It helped me to, uh, to understand my identification with the poor. See, because I was born on this side of the border, and I have a birth certificate and I have papers, I don't have to be the subject of all the hate that is being uh, channeled towards undocumented people in this country. So here's, here's the deal, and, and I think about this. There are 300 million people in our country today, right? More or less. And there are about 15 million uh, undocumented folks, they estimate, in, in, in our country, right? What's the percent of that? There's a math major here somewhere. What's the percent? What is it? 5%? So here's the deal. 5%, these, this 5% is, the, they're the blame for everything that's gone, going bad with America today. Right? That's, that's kind of, that's the rhetoric. That's what you hear. And man, when I hear that, I, I, I just, I could be all about Brown. I could be, a, man, I could just be about that. And, and some of you, because of who you are, you, all of us can have our own little cause, right? It's all about this, or we, you know, this is the only thing that matters. But you know what? When I read these words, it's, it's, it's an ethic that says we are to be a people who are defined by a different kind of love, a different kind of life. And, and when I was in college, I'll just I'll close with this, okay, because I know we, could, uh, we can go on for a long time, okay? When I was in college, you know, my story, maybe, I don't know if any of you could identify with this, but I grew up in a terrible family, you know? Ter I mean, great, great family. I mean, my mom is fantastic, and, and, and my brother, I, it, not in the sense that these people were bad, you know, they were bad, but my father... Uh, was a farm worker, oldest of 14. My mom was the oldest of 18, okay? So I'm basically related to almost every Mexican in Texas, okay? <laughs> I mean, that's just the way to... So, you know, when I was young and going to visit uh, Texas, I had to be careful who I dated. You know, it could be my cousin, you know? <laughs> yeah. But, but, you know, it's like we grew up, and my, my, my mom and dad were always on the verge of divorce, always. I never remember anything else growing up. Tension, fight, I mean, uh, abusive father, emotionally 
you know, I never heard him say a good word about my mom. I mean, it was, ter- it was a terrible environment to grow up in. So, so imagine what, our, what, what as kids we, we do. For me, I escaped into trying to do well in sports, and then, you know, I just kind of uh, was, like, I try to be, be away from the house as much as possible. One of my sisters became a gangbanger, okay? Uh, she, she ended up getting pregnant when she was really young, having a kid. My next sister, uh, 14 years old, and she found out she was pregnant, okay? I mean, looking for love, looking to escape our family. There was so much pain, so much hurt. Uh, my little brother, eight years younger than me, you know, he's just like floundering because he's by himself. He just didn't know what to do. And so he's kind of this happy-go-lucky guy just trying to cope. And, and so, you know... Uh, in the middle of that turmoil, I heard about uh, my football coach actually uh, took me to this camp where I heard about the love of God for the very first time. I mean, even though I was raised Roman Catholic and we went to church twice, you know, Easter and Christmas, right? So I had a good religious upbringing, and, uh, uh, but those two hours were hell, I'll tell you. But, you know, I heard about this amazing God who, not, who didn't come to condemn the world, but he came to give us life and to save it, and he proved it by laying down his own life. He entered into my suffering so that I might know that he loves me. That transformed me. That changed me, okay? It absolutely blew my mind. And I, I, would, I would describe myself today as a radical okay, as an activist, as a social justice kind of person, you know, uh, there, are, there are a lot of places where I go where I'm the liberal guy, and then there's a lot of places in the liberal camp where I go where I am the super conservative guy, I like that, right, I, I, I try to keep them confused, but, 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 uh, but, 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 I, but I want you to know it started, it started with a transformed heart, right, and I want to tell you, it doesn't matter if you grew up religious or, you, or you've been in church your whole life. I think some of you here probably are trying to figure it out. You're trying to figure out, man, what is this faith? I know my parents uh, really are into this thing. I know my family's into it. You might be a PK kid. I mean, I feel sorry for my kids, you know, sometimes because they had to live with the fact that they had to, you know, under the shadow of my, my, my being a pastor. But you know what? They turned out okay right? That you're going to be okay. You're going to be all right. There's worse ways to grow up, right? But, but, but it's got to become real, right? It's got to become your own. And then once you begin to read the words of Jesus with innocence, openness, humility, then you will be on an adventure that, uh, I mean, will be more exciting than anything you could ever imagine. Because then you can lean into the pain of the world and be a bridge builder, be a healer, a peacemaker, you know? Where I happen to do it and where God has called me to do it is in the poor neighborhoods of our country and world. I mean, there is nowhere I would rather be than to live in the barrio. I mean, I've, I've been there the first 20 years of my life, I was there because I had to. 
The last 30 years, I've lived there because that's my calling. Let me ask you something. Uh, does your connection to Jesus stir you to say, I'm going to give my life to, to just be a, a radical follower of Christ? I'm going, to, I'm going to love people that nobody else wants to love. I mean, if I'm just here for a few minutes, I would try to go find everybody in this room that I, I thought needed a hug, and I'd give you a big old hug, okay? Because I know how it feels. I'll, you know, so, friends, uh, there is another way. There's another way to live out our faith. There is. And it's, and it's rooted in being uh, willing not only to hear the word of God, but to then begin to live it and obey it, okay? So uh, I think you guys are going to be exposed to a lot of great people and a lot of great thinking and all that, but there may not be anything more radical than you will hear this week than what we read in the words of Jesus. You are to be perfect as my heavenly Father is perfect. To me, that's one of the most challenging verses in Scripture, and the way I see it, this is, this is what perfection means in my eyes that you love God to the best of your ability, and then you love people, no matter who they are, the way Jesus would love them. And if we can do that, friends, you can change the world. You can change your world. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your amazing challenge. God, that uh, would cause us to walk away from hatred and violence and somebody even coming to strike us and, and wanting to do us harm and to be able to walk away and say, you know what, I'm not going to respond that way. I'm going to love you. God, that would cause us to not just go after people that look like us and smell like us and believe what we believe to be friends with them, but that we would be so... Uh, intentional about seeking out those that, are, that seem to be the furthest out so that they might experience the love of God the way we've experienced it. Lord, our prayer tonight is that we would be willing to enter into the honest exploration of our own sin, our own racism, our own prejudice, our own biases, to be able to say, yeah, if it was up to me, all I would be about is brown. But because of Jesus, uh, I, I want to be for everybody. I want to I see every single person become everything you created them to be. Help us to do that tonight, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.